All right. Good morning, Chapel Hill. Thanks for coming out this morning. Thanks for braving the elements and being here and uh, joining us this morning. I trust that you will be blessed by what God has to say to us this morning. Um, Going back to last week, we took a look once again at our vision and our mission and our values, and we began to review those, bring them back up before us, and, and just sort of take a look at um, who we are and what God has called us to and has put before us as a church and as individuals. And so we did a little review of that. Um, we talk in our vision about being transformed by God's spirit. And next week, we're going to start a new series of messages that are going to be based on Romans chapter 8. And so uh, your assignment between now and next Sunday is read the first seven chapters of Romans and get ready for this because we're going to dig deeply into Romans chapter 8 and we're going to find out who this Holy Spirit is and how he works in our lives and how this transformation takes place in our lives by his power, by his presence with us. So last week we looked at um, one of our values. We looked at the first one, at growing in Christ. And we spent some time talking about our relationship with God and talking about the need that we have, the, the thing that we should be striving for, and that is to experience a relationship with God on the deepest possible level that we can have this side of heaven. About pursuing him. We talked about um, being close to God. About putting him first and, and drawing really close in relationship with him. And that, that we ought to be striving for that. We talked last week about four dimensions of our relationship with Jesus. We talked about being a follower of Christ. We talked about being a disciple of Christ. We talked about being a servant of Christ. And we talked about being an ambassador for Christ. And one of the challenges that we have in our cultural mindset, I think, is that we like to view things in a linear way. And, and last week I tried to, to kind of put it before you that that's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about this list that's up here and working our way up the ladder of this list and, and going from this one to that one and that one to that one and carrying on. And, and we acquire these things. We move on to another level. This isn't a, a race for the top. There's a better way to understand this. And I tried to, to talk about this a little bit last week. Um, but over the past week, I was involved in a few conversations where uh, we're just wrestling with this a little bit about what it means to be all of these things and not, as we have a tendency to do, view them as this linear voyage into maturity um, where we become this greater and greater thing. And so I wanted to, to talk about it for just a minute this morning um, in relation to this as a better way to look at it. That we look at this not as one that follows another and another um, in this line as we work towards maturity, um, which is part of the picture. But I wanted to use the concentric circles here this morning for a reason. And let me explain what I'm talking about um, with that. We talked about um, being followers of Christ. We talked about being disciples, servants, ambassadors for Christ. And rather than seeing that in a linear way, I want you to look at it this way. This, this is us. This is us, and this encompasses all of those things. Those four things, as you can see up on the screen, are all involved in this. And at the core of this is the fact that we are followers of Jesus Christ. That doesn't change. We don't start out as followers of Jesus Christ and then stop being followers of Jesus Christ when we move on to being disciples of Jesus Christ. We are and always will be followers of Jesus. Now, when we 
pick up some, some, a new concept, a new theological principle or something like that. And, and we begin to see how Jesus did it. We begin to hear what Jesus taught about it. We, we do move, in a sense, from being a follower of Christ to being a disciple of Christ. We've heard from him, we've seen it in him, in him and now we just want to be like him. And so that becomes a part of us. We become a disciple of his in copying what he's done, in trying to be like he is, like he was, like we've seen in him. We try to live that. Then we take that mindset that we're trying to be like him, and as we become more like him, we move on to becoming now also servants of Jesus Christ. And we try to figure out how we can serve him with what we know, with what's happening in us, with the new person that we're becoming. And then eventually that moves into the realm of us becoming ambassadors for Christ and representing him here on earth. Now, that doesn't mean that once we've learned that one thing, we've moved out into this this layer into the outer layer, and now we are only ambassadors. We're not. Because every so often in our lives, and this is a guarantee, something comes along that impacts our lives. It changes things. We go through a crisis. It impacts us. We learn something new. It impacts us. We go through a major change in life. It impacts us. Something happens, and it impacts us. And here's what I was, was trying to get at last week, and I, and I just want us to get this a little more. We'll, we'll come back to this again. But when, when that happens, when we have some crisis, when we have something happen in our lives, where should we go? We should go right back to the core. We should go right back to the fact that we are followers of Jesus Christ and we should look to him. We should seek him. We should look at what he did. We should look at what he said about that. We go right back to being followers. And then as we get back and see, oh, that's how Jesus handled this kind of situation, then we begin to go, okay, I want to be like him in this situation. So we copy what Jesus did. We try to imitate what Jesus did as we become disciples of Jesus Christ. And then we learn as we, as we get some practice doing what Jesus did, we begin to realize I can use this to serve him. He wants me to use this thing that happened to me, this thing that I learned, to serve him. And so we serve him, and then beyond that, we take that thing that happened to us, we take what we learned from it, and we willingly put ourselves before Christ and say, okay, I will represent you in this now. I want to be your ambassador in this world with this new thing that you've taught me, with this new thing that I've experienced. And so there's very much a lot of this going on throughout our experience as followers of Christ. We go back to the core over and over and over again. You and I are followers of Jesus Christ first. And if we lose sight of him and we only stick with the first things that we've learned and we're, we're ambassadors in those areas and every time something happens to us, we go, I, I don't need to go back to that. I am an ambassador for Christ. We lose it. We lose that experience of our lives just being filled out and God's spirit transforming us into the people that he desires us to be. And so keep that in mind as you look at these, these four components of who we are as followers of Jesus Christ. They're, they're interacting all the time. There are always things happening to us that drive us back, should drive us back to Jesus Christ, who he is, how he lived, what he said, what he taught. And we begin there again every time something happens in our lives. Go back to being a follower of Jesus Christ. It's who you are. It's who I am. We're followers, and we begin that renewal from the inside out over and over and over again. 
um, especially when something happens. Every new opportunity for growth leads us back to Jesus to observe him. And then we try to experience life from that perspective. We serve him with what's happened to us. And and we move on to representing him in the way that God uses that experience, that new information, that lesson that we've learned in our lives. And we continue just to fill from the inside out who we are and allow God to do that. The source for our vision, mission, and values as a church is Jesus as well. That's where it came from, is going back to him and how he modeled things for us. He gave us a very clear picture of what's important in life. In Matthew 22, in Mark 12, and and in Luke 10, Jesus is recorded giving this response when he's asked what is the greatest of the commandments that he's given. This is what it says in, in Luke 10, 27. This is how Jesus answered. It says, and he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he led us right back to loving God with everything that we've got, entering into as deep a relationship as we can possibly get with him. So we talked about last week, love him like you will love him forever, for all of eternity. Do it now. Enter into that relationship now. Do your best to acknowledge what things will be like when Jesus comes back and restores this world. And God lives here with us, among us, in person. Just try to imagine what that's going to be like. And live like it's your reality right now. In John chapter 15, um, we can see clearly the value of these two loves that Jesus talked about. Um, John 15 is the vine and the branches chapter. In the first 11 verses, Jesus talks about our love for God, abiding in him and that relationship with him. And then in verses 12 to 17, he adds his words about our love for our neighbors. And I cannot overstate the value of these two commandments. As his values become our values, we begin to discover the reason why we were born and what God has for us in this life from here through eternity. In Acts chapter 2, we get this beautiful picture of what things were like for followers of Jesus Christ back then. Acts 2, 42 to 47 is one of the most specific pictures that we have of the, of the first church. So I want to read that um, with you and reflect on a couple of things that we see there. And this will be up on the screen. This is Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. It talks about how the church was born says this about the church, says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their their number day by day those who were being saved. There are a lot of things that we can take from this passage about how we're to live as a church. But I want to focus this morning on one general principle and then kind of an interesting bit of context that comes out of these verses. The principle that we can see from this passage is simply this. These people cared about each other. And they cared for each other. This first church was made up of people that loved each other deeply. And so they lived their lives taking care of each other. They loved one another just as Jesus had taught them to do. And how many times do we hear or read Jesus saying, love one another to his followers? 
It's frequent. It's all over his words. He's, he, and he's talking to his brothers and sisters. He's, he's talking to the church. He taught us to love one another. He taught us to care for one another. He taught us to bear one another's burdens. He taught us to encourage and affirm each other. He taught us to speak to one another in loving, accepting, caring, understanding ways. Church, we're to, we're to look for God's image in each other. We're to forgive each other. We're to remind each other of God's love for us. We're, we're not to compete with each other. We're not to make each other look bad. We're not to focus on the, the imperfect version of each other that will be perfected in heaven. We're to look deep into each other's lives and find the image of God there. Because it's there in every single one of us. Let me make this as clear as I possibly can. We are to treat each other the way we will treat each other when Jesus comes back and God rules on this earth in person. That's the way we're to treat each other right now. There's no way God's saying, you know what, do your best right now and we'll fix it when I get here. He's fixing it in us now, day by day. And he's asking us to treat each other in a loving way. He's asking us to treat, to, to live in the reality of eternity right now. Love one another. Church, we are God's eternal family. Brothers and sisters forever. When we look at each other, we ought to see the the person standing in front of us as the person that they really are, as God's beloved child, a person being transformed by his spirit day in and day out. That's who these people around you are. No, we're not perfect. And yes, sometimes we have to hold each other accountable to our, our position as God's representatives here in this world. But the kind of perspective that, that sees God's image in the other person has to be there. We've got to have that. We're to express God's love and compassion and grace and forgiveness and mercy towards each other in God's church at all times. That's what we're being asked to do. There's another feature in the Acts 2 passage that I want to draw our attention to. It can be easily overlooked. It's found in verse 46 where it says, And day by day... Attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. There were two geographical expressions of the church here. The temple. They met together in the temple. I'm sure it looked exactly like this. They went to church. The church was found at the temple. There's no question about it. But the church was also found in their homes. It was found in their homes as well. They cared for each other in their homes. They shared life with each other in their homes. They shared resources with each other in their homes. They impacted their communities in their homes. Now, before we start feeling all proud of ourselves for making our homes and our nuclear families our priority, let me just give you some context. There is no word in the Greek, Hebrew, or Aramaic languages that the Bible is written in for nuclear family. They didn't address us this way. They didn't live that way. Did they have a nuclear family? Yes. Was it really important to them? Yes. Is there instruction for fathers and mothers and children? Yes, there is. 
But their experience in their homes was very different than what we experience. I cannot imagine people in the New Testament church driving home from work, pulling into their garage, shutting the door, and no one ever sees them again until they head to work the next day. Their experience in their communities included more than just their immediate families. It was extended families. It was neighbors. It was was villages. They all had a tremendous amount of value to families back then. Keep that in mind as you read and hear the scriptures and what they have to say about us. Because in the New Testament, there was an organizational element and an organic element to church. A temple and homes. Both were represented there. Um, I've been taking a course online that's related to the subject of making disciples. Something that I really need to and want to grow in constantly. It's with an organization called the Verge Network. I'm learning a lot. Um, and, and I hope that I grow in more than just understanding. I want more than just the acquisition of information to come out of this. My studies are hopefully going to lead me to a deeper impact in my community. And in turn, I'm praying that it leads us to a deeper impact in our communities as well. In this course, I learned about the organizational and organic elements of the church. Organizationally, we have a responsibility as a church, as leadership and staff, to provide elements where disciple-making takes place. Um, Recently, as a staff, we looked at a book called Creating a Lead Small Culture. This book helped us to look at several different aspects of how we do church as an organization. And one of the lessons that we looked at reminded us of a very, very important truth when it comes to how we do this organizationally. Uh, last week here, we looked at our value of growing in Christ. The truth that we were, we were reminded of in this study is the reality that we grow better together spiritually than we do on our own. That's just truth, and it's been proven over and over again. We certainly can and do grow on our own. We just grow better together. And it's been the case throughout history. As we look ahead to this next school year, we're working here as staff to create more relational environments for our growth. We're working on our environments in our ministries. We've got some great relational environments here already from the time that we spend hanging around after church to to small groups to just doing life with your peers here. And we want to expand on that. We want to keep that um, growing and thriving. And, And this is one way that we can combine our values of growing in Christ and living in love. Put them together. We grow better together. There are other ways as well. But look, church, for the multitude of opportunities around you to live in love with your brothers and sisters right here. We'll work to create more opportunities organizationally, but there are many, many opportunities that are going to happen here organically as well. So think about your home for a moment. How intentional are we about our homes? Do we have a plan for our homes? Do we have a vision for our home? And speaking for myself, I think I spend more time thinking about the inward-focused aspect of my home than I do about the outward focus of my home. I do. I just naturally fall into that. Love happens in a very organic way inside my home, and I want to use my home as a tool to minister to my family. We talked about our temple, the church. I have expectations of my temple. It has to be a place of equipping, a place of acceptance and belonging. 
It has to be a place of community. I have to be a part of something here. I've got to feel that. I've got to experience that. It has to be a place for corporate and personal worship. Did you enjoy the way we started this service? It was beautiful. Beautiful. It's got to be a place for service and impact. It's got to be a place where discipleship happens, where we make disciples here in this temple. What about my home? I expect my home to be a place of love and care and intimacy and trust and security and discipleship as well and much, much more. But my home also has to include a vision for impact. The love in my home has to spill outside into our community. And that takes a vision, a plan. I have to be intentional about that. And this is something that I need to work on. Listen, Jesus was sent from eternity into our world. He made this place his community for a while. That was a model. It was not just a story. It was a model for us. How can we follow that model in our homes, in our communities? Last year, we spent quite a bit of time examining God's call in our lives to, to impact our neighbors and our neighborhoods. So where are we at with that? How's your neighbor doing? Were you ready when the snow melted and your neighbors emerged for the first time in months, rubbing their eyes and stretching and... Were you ready for that? Have you been praying for them? Were you ready to connect with them? Have you shared your life with them? Have you shared your faith with them? Have you invited them to anything that would point them to Jesus Christ? The Jerusalem mandate was not just some trend that we followed for a while. It wasn't the flavor of the month. Being light and salt in this world is a critical part of our identity as a church. church that grew up following Jesus return to heaven was passionate about spreading the good news of Jesus Christ. They didn't hesitate at all. They got it out there. You need to know about Jesus. They knew something that we may have lost sight of. This is another thing that I've been reminded of through my studies. It has to do with Jesus' strategy for making disciples. Think about this for a minute. Jesus came And made disciples. That was his mission. He came and he made disciples. He chose chose 12 men and he poured into them. And there were three in particular that he really poured into and really got close to. That was his mission. Not to come and take over the world. He focused on making disciples. That's what he did. That's who he was. And out of that effort to make disciples, a church emerged. That's the way it happened. And I want you to just let that sink in for a minute. Making disciples came first. That was Jesus' strategy. And a church followed. Church was the result of Jesus making disciples. I want you to to think about the church in our culture today. Our goal is to build a church. Our, Our goal is to do the organizational aspect of a church really, really well with the hope that disciples are made out of that. By us as an organization. That's not how Jesus did it. 
And this is an area that I need, to de- I need to develop as the pastor of this church. I need to get us back to that model that Jesus left us. We, church, are to make disciples. And out of that will grow and emerge a, a flourishing church. If we are making disciples. It's not easy. But we tend to think of the organizational side of things far more than we do the organic side of things. Where we are out as followers of Jesus Christ. We are making disciples inside and outside the church. And out of that, this church just takes off. Jesus gave us a model to follow. I believe that he's calling us to make disciples. And out of that will grow a church that is going to multiply and make more disciples and more disciples and more disciples. Making disciples has to be a higher priority for us than making a perfect church. A church is going to emerge out of our passion for guiding people to Jesus and showing them what it means to follow him. So let me use the last part of the message today to... Uh, to help us with that, um, sitting back and expecting the organizational aspect of the church to be done really well is easy. Making the effort to grow in the organic aspect of making disciples is not easy. But this is the model that Jesus set for us. I want to talk for a few minutes about a simple model for making disciples. And this is hopefully going to help us live out our mission to guide people into a flourishing, contagious relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, through the, mar- the marvel of modern technology, my smart board is going to transform. Yep, that's right. Don't tell me I'm not relevant. I want to talk about this triangle for a few minutes. I want to talk about a model that Jesus left us for making disciples. And it's really, really important that, that we get this, I think. Because this is something that every single one of us can do. Every one of us. This is easy to remember. And we can do this. Every single one of us can do this. When we think about making disciples, one of the things that comes to mind first and foremost is getting information out to people who don't know Jesus. So the first thing that I want to talk about in here is information. This is the thing that sticks in our mind the most, I think, as a Western church. We think, okay, we've got to get information out. We've got to tell people. We have a message to share with people. Absolutely true. 100% true. But if this is all there is, we get really nervous about this, don't we? Yeah, what if we screw it up? What if we say the wrong thing? What if they ask a question and we can't answer it? What if we're not the experts? What if somebody pulls this theological bullet out and we're like, well, I don't know. And then we're responsible for them going to hell because we couldn't answer the question. Everything hangs on information. We've got to learn this. We've got to have the right answers. We've got to present it this way or this way. There's got to be clear steps. There's got to be something we can draw on a napkin. Because it's all about information. That's, that's us making disciples. Get them information and they will become disciples of Jesus Christ. And we get stuck here. And we get afraid of this. Yes, we have to know the gospel. Of course we do. 
But there's far more to this than just knowing information that we're going to communicate to somebody else. Second thing that's uh, an important element in this is another I word. That's why these are easy to remember. And it's the word imitation. Imitation. I want to read to you a passage from 1 Corinthians chapter 4. This is what Paul's writing, and, and he, he got this, okay? He got the information piece for sure. He was great. As we get into Romans chapter 8, you're going to realize that, wow, Paul was smart. He really knew his stuff. There's no question. But this is another element of how Paul did this, of, of the model for ministry, for making disciples, that he followed that Jesus established. 1 Corinthians 4, verses 14 through 17. This is what he writes. I do not write these things, and he's been instructing them. I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though, uh, though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then, be imitators of me. What an arrogant thing to say. No, that's reality. Be imitators of me. That's why I sent you, Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in every church. He called Timothy in to imitate him and then to take that to the churches and the churches would imitate Timothy and on and on and on and on and on it would go. Because here's the reality when it comes to this way of making disciples. You can't be what you can't see. Being a follower of Christ just based on the information that you've received is very difficult compared to being a follower of Christ based on the information that you see and a model that you have to imitate. In church, we are that model. We're the ones that they're to imitate. Don't let it go to your head, but you are a model and we want people to follow you and see how you follow Jesus Christ. It's a very, very powerful thing. And so Paul writes with this mindset of father and children. Just in the way that I'm modeling this for my boys, we're to model it for the people in our communities, in our workplaces, at our schools, all over. Yes, we're to have the information. We're to know how to speak the gospel to people. But we also have to realize that we've got to model it for them. We've got to live it for them. And that means we've got to live life with people that don't know Jesus yet. They have to see us. The third thing that I want to hit on is this. It's the word innovation. And that's a word that I have never really seen associated with this model of disciple making that Jesus gave us. Yeah, I've seen them talk about um, information, about speaking what we know, speaking the gospel. And I've, and I've heard a lot of talk about imitating and being models and that kind of thing. But I hear very little conversation about this innovation piece. And that's one of the things that I've been studying as well. 
Jesus gave his disciples this amazing promise. He gave them this challenge. He said, um, oh, by the way, disciples, followers of mine, when I go to be with the Father again, you are going to do things greater than I have done. Really? Because he did some pretty amazing things. But we saw in Acts chapter 2 what happened when he left. How he used his followers to impact the entire planet for all of eternity. He said, you'll do greater things than I've done. But the, the charge he gave us was to be innovative with this. To be creative with this. And, and he's, he gave parables. Jesus gave parables about giving talents or minas to, to somebody in those parables. And they were to do something with it. They were to be innovative with it and invest what they had been given. And so what I want to do as, as we close this message today is just to challenge you in the area of your neighborhoods, your communities, your schools, whatever it may be. Are you being innovative in the way that you engage with the lost? Use every opportunity that God gives you. Don't shy away from any opportunity that's there. They're all around you. They're all around me. And I've been looking recently at the different, different ways that this happens. Um, this is, it's soccer season right now. And, and God has given me an opportunity to impact kids and parents on my son's soccer teams. For my youngest, I decided to be a coach. I'm doing this each year. Is I jump in, and that's one way. That's one way for me to have an impact, is to be a model for these kids and for their parents. And we have this misfit crew on Asher's team. They're, they're a really strange bunch of kids, and there are times when I'm just like, what are you looking at? Right? It's those kinds of things. Get back. Why are you playing if you just want to look way over there and run? You know, things, simple things like that. It can drive you crazy. But those opportunities are there. To have parents come alongside me on the sidelines and coach with me and, and, and see what happens as they observe what I do and how I handle things. To see these kids come together and lose every game until yesterday. But they love each other and they love being there. And there's, God uses that. It's just an innovative way for me to, to get in there. We've looked at other things, other sports opportunities. Um, the two older boys play for a, a U13 team, and, and this was the point at which I wanted to release them. And now I have to coach from the other side of the field, and it's hard, very hard. And I should bring duct tape, but I don't, and it should be for me. Um, I, I'm, I'm still coaching over on the other side of the field. It, I get anxious. It drives me crazy. But the relationships that we've developed with the parents of the kids on this team, the relationships that my boys have developed with the kids on this team, I watched this past uh, week how um, we had just gone through an incident on the team which never should have happened. Something got out of control and a few of the kids were picking on one of the other kids. And it got bad. It turned into bullying and it got rough and, and we thought we were going to lose the kid who got bullied. But there were conversations that happened. The whole thing was handled really well. My wife was right in the middle of this. She had just opened up to this kid's mom and was right there to process all this with her. And, and, and it was beautiful how God used this. And then to come out to our, our last um, 
game back on Thursday. Um, and we got, we got to the field first, and, and my two boys got out of the van and headed for the field. And then this kid who had been bullied showed up. And it made me so happy to see this kid run to catch up to one of my sons and walk out onto the field with him. You think God uses that? Of course he does. I got boys now that bring kids from our community to youth group on Wednesday nights. And it's now just an assumption for their parents. Of course we're going to pick their kid up, so they just like leave them. Those kids want to be here. Because of the involvement we have in their lives, at school, in the neighborhood, and on our teams, that kind of thing. Last thing is this. This is, this is innovation in such a twisted way. <laughs> a few weeks ago, um, the two older boys had a band concert at their school. They're in sixth grade band. And um, we went to see their concert. And for one of the songs in the concert, our son Jude, and they're both percussionists, our son Jude got to play the cowbell. So go ahead and give me the picture. So before the concert, my wife, without the boys knowing, is brilliant enough to go and find some paper real quick and make two signs. One that says, hey, Jude, we need, and the other one says, more cowbell. And it would, when it came time for his solo, there's his awkward parents holding up these big signs. <laughs> now listen, it wasn't just to embarrass our kid, partly, but not all the way. It wasn't just for that. It was to encourage him. It was to be engaged. And the way that God used that stupid sign is remarkable. Because most of the sixth graders didn't get the reference to the Saturday Night Live skit. A couple of them did. But boy, the parents did. And it led to one conversation after another, after another, after another. Simply because we put ourselves out there, which was hard for me to do. <laughs> My wife does it easily. I'm like, no, I think that's, un- that's just inappropriate. We shouldn't do that. And then it's like, hold the sign up, Paul. I hold the sign up. <laughs> so it doesn't work the same way for all of us, right? We complement each other. It's a really good thing. It's just simply saying, let's be creative in the way that we put ourselves out there for the sake of the relationships that come out of this and the number of conversations that have come with parents of the kids at the school, with parents of the, their teammates on the soccer team and people from our neighborhood, all that kind of stuff. It's just simply being innovative and saying, okay, I'll be creative. Whatever it takes to spark a conversation or a relationship, God, use this. Chapel Hill, I want us to be the innovative church. I want us to be the church that is aware of the people around us who need Jesus. I want us to be the church that will do whatever it takes to connect with people outside the church so that they can hear of the hope of Jesus Christ. That's who I want us to be. I hope that we'll grow towards being that church more and more and more.
And so many of you are doing this, and I love hearing the stories of ways that you've interacted with somebody at work, things that you've taken a chance and started, and, and it was blessed by God. And wow, what did he do with that? And I love it. Let's keep pushing on this. Know it. Know the gospel. Live the gospel. Let them imitate what they see. And be creative. God's a creator. And you've been made in his image. Be creative in the way that you shine your light in this world. And let God use that. I'm going to invite the ushers to come now as we close our service together. Um, Just a reminder that um, after this next song, we're going to go right into our annual meeting. And um, if you're not a member, I don't feel like, okay, well, for members, I got to go. Just stick around. We're going to celebrate what God's done over this past year and talk about the vision that he's given us for the year ahead. There's all kinds of different things that are going to happen in that meeting. So stick around if you can. And um, we'll talk. We'll celebrate. We'll praise God for what he's done and what he's doing. Will you pray with me now? Father, I just want to lift this church up to you again. And I thank you that you have given us a model for how we're to live as a church, for the impact that we're to have on this world as a church and as individuals. And I simply ask, God, that the transforming work of your Holy Spirit in us would happen. Holy Spirit, come, fill us. Fill us to overflowing Help us to see that the reason why Jesus said that we will do even greater things than he did is because he didn't just leave us alone. He sent his spirit to dwell inside of us, to give us the power, to give us the words, to give us the confidence, the courage to do what we've been called to do. Fill us with that spirit. Keep shaping us as a church. Shape us through this series that we have coming up. Shape us through our annual meeting today. God, we just ask that you would keep working in us. Finish what you started here. Thanks for loving us so much. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.